The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Please turn there with me. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, there's one under a chair in front of you, page 959 in the chair Bible. I want to welcome everyone here. If you're a guest, we'd love for you to let us know you're here by using our guest or connect card. It's in the back of a chair. You take it, fill out the information. End of our service, we're going to take our offering, and we only want you to participate by placing that in the offering plate. And I'd ask you to do a second thing. After the service, stop by out in the lobby and introduce yourself. I'd love to meet you personally before you head out today. So we come to 1 Corinthians 12. We've been working our way through 1 Corinthians now for several months. We come to chapter 12, a lot of discussion I've had in the lobby, people making comments. I can't wait to get to chapter 12, and we can't wait to hear what you got to say. Well, I'm not quite sure what people are after, but let me say my commitment. Over the next four weeks, as we work through chapters 12 through 14, my prayer is that I practice good hermeneutics good interpretation of both 1 Corinthians in its context and in its context of the whole counsel of God within the Bible. Let me offer a few disclaimers before I get started this morning uh, in terms of what I believe and what Parkwood believes. Number one, Parkwood is not a Pentecostal church. We do not believe that what transpired in Acts chapter 2 is prescriptive. In other words, what happened in Acts 2, that every Christian must be baptized in the Spirit in that they speak in tongues. Now, we believe every Christian is baptized by the Spirit. I don't have time to explain that, but we don't believe it evidences in every Christian in the speaking of tongues. Number two, there are two continuums within the evangelical world when it comes to spiritual gifts. There are those who are, who are proclaimed cessationists that they believe that the miraculous gifts have ceased. Then there are those that are called continuationists, those who believe that the miraculous gifts continue. And then there are people somewhere in the middle. These are new terms, right? So when theologians get together, they establish these terms. So you can have a cautious continuationist or a nuanced cessationist. I'm somewhere in there. Not that I'm trying to be in the middle. But I can't make a hardline argument as some would of cessationism, and I can't make a hardline argument as some would in continuationism because of things that are going on in the Bible. Let me say this as it relates to all of us. Spiritual gifts cannot and must not become a point of division in a local church, period. I'll say more about this when we get to chapter 14. It's happened at Parkwood before. It cannot happen. This is what was happening at Corinth. This is why Paul is writing so extensively about the subject so that there is not division. However, out of fear, I'm not going to shrink back and not preach. I'm going to deal with these texts and work through them and offer as best I can the understanding of the word of God. So with that said, let's read the word of God together. First Corinthians 12, would you please stand? Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, 
however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the one and same and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Let's pray. Lord, we ask now that you would cause us to understand that as followers of Christ in this room, you have apportioned to each of us according to your will and by your grace gifts. Sober us over this truth and lead us to practice them, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. So this is spiritual gifts and public worship are going to dominate chapters 12, 13, and 14. There's some mountain peaks that I want to make sure you understand from the beginning so that you don't get yourself focused in on one particular thing, like tongues or prophecy. There's some crucial things you've got to see. Verse 3. The Lordship of Christ must rule in our hearts in this discussion. Verse 7, spiritual gifts are for the common good. They're not about you. We are one body with many members. Verse 14. Chapter 13 has everything to do with chapters 12 and 14. And it is informing us that love defines our worship and our spiritual gifts. Last, verse 40 of chapter 14. Everything is to be done decent and in order. With those things in our mind, we now seek to glean from these first 11 verses this main idea. The Holy Spirit graciously gives gifts to each individual in the body of Christ for the common good. We'll focus in the first several verses and the Holy Spirit graciously gives gifts to each individual in the body of Christ. These introductory remarks can be confusing if you overthink them. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols however you were led. So what he's saying is you worshiped a false idol. It wasn't God, but you were led. There was something spiritual going on there. He identified that in the food sacrifice to idols. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking the Spirit ever says Jesus is accursed. Now, he's not afraid that somebody is going to stand up in a Corinthian gathering and say Jesus is accursed or that that's what was going on. What he's saying is that identified the pagan or the pagan life. But then he flips it and says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, this is present active indicative. It doesn't mean no one can at one point in time utter the words, Jesus is Lord. A pagan can do that. 
It's not the use of language. It's the intent, the declaration of the language. He's saying no one can say and keep on saying Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So what's this got to do with spiritual gifts? Let's follow the logic. Number one, the Holy Spirit is the source of the confession Jesus is Lord. Got that? The Holy Spirit is the source of spiritual gifts. With that, now let's put them together. Exercising your spiritual gift in the body of Christ communicates that Jesus is Lord. The Spirit bears witness to Christ. John 15, 26. When the Helper comes, whom I send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness to me. This is Christ speaking. So the purpose of the gift as the confession is to bear witness to the lordship of Christ. Now, beginning in verse 4, we see the source and the nature of the gifts begin to unfold. Now, I just want you to quickly notice the parallel nature of 4, 5, and 6. They begin, there are varieties. You see that? There are varieties, there are varieties, there are varieties. Then there's a Trinitarian nature to it. Spirit, Lord, God. Verse 4. There are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. The word varieties in the Greek has to do with difference and distribution. So distributed is a variety of gifts, different gifts. They have the same source by the, the same spirit. Is the spirit who distributes these different varieties of gifts to others. Now, the word gifts is where we get the word charismatic, charisma. It literally means this, grace gift. So this is very important. God did not look at you and go, you know, she's really sweet. I'm going to give her the gift of mercy. He's kind of oratory. I'm going to give him the, the gift of teaching. It's not how it worked. God, the Holy Spirit, says, not by anything about you, but by his grace alone, he gifts you. That's why there's some people in the church who have spiritual gifts that just make no sense. I mean, you got these little quiet people who stand up and teach, and you go, what? where did that come from? From the Spirit of God. You got a person who's shy, but shows tremendous amounts of mercy to people. Where did that come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. The Spirit gives by grace. Next, and there are varieties of service. We get the word deacon from here, diaconate. It could be translated ministry. We don't translate in the English translations ministry anymore because that means vocational work to most American Christians. So we use the word service, serving. There are varieties of ways the body is served, but the same Lord. Now, the Lord here means master. So varieties of service, one master. So the ministry of the servant, the service that you offer, is carried out according to the gifts from the Lord, our master, the one whom we ultimately serve as we serve each other. So we see here the lordship of Christ clearly. Then verse 6, the varieties of activities. Now, I wish it wasn't translated activities because that sounds like a church calendar of activities. What this means is implementation. There are varieties of implementations, the carrying into effect. 
But it is the same God who empowers. The word empowers means to cause to function. He causes to function these, these various implementations where? Them all in everyone. Now there's redundancy there. So in every believer, there is implemented by God these various ways that were caused to function in the body of Christ. And if we hadn't got it up to this point, verse 7, he makes it crystal clear. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. So how many Christians have a spiritual gift? All of them. No exception. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. The word manifestation, let me, let me translate it a little bit different way. Clear indication. To each is given a clear indication of the Spirit. So everybody listen carefully. Stop taking spiritual gift inventories. They're not helpful. Too many people have narrowed themselves down based on a piece of paper. If the Bible wanted you to have a spiritual gift inventory, it would have included one. Here's what the Bible says. To each is given a clear indication. You know how you find out what your spiritual gift is? You serve. You get involved in the life of the church and your gift will become evident to those around you. It will become clear to those how you fit in the body of Christ and it will become clear to you. As long as you sit taking spiritual gift inventories, you're going to sit. You get involved in what God is calling you to do. So every believer is gifted by the Spirit and each is a member of the body with gifts that match their function in the body. Now according to Romans 12, turn there with me. Right after it says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, what follows is a discussion about gifts. So you can't present yourself a living sacrifice without bestowing or without evidencing the spiritual gift in your life. For by the grace, again, this is undeserved, given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Now, I don't know why it is when we discover our spiritual gifts, we get haughty. I don't know. Shows the defective nature of who we still struggle with our sin nature. That the Bible had to address that. So you don't think highly of yourself and your gift. You think with sober judgment. Now, how do I get sober judgment about my gift? That I, that I realize by the measure of faith that God has assigned. That God, the Holy Spirit, has given this to me. Now, I better sober up with this. Now, how do I use it? For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So I've had people say, well, that's my ministry. Something obscure out there doing something else. That's fine. God gives avenues for Christians to serve the lost world and to serve others. But spiritual gifts are primarily discussed in relationship to the local church. So what you're doing out there is not an excuse not to serve in here. I don't mean in the worship center. That we all are to carry out our gifts within the body of Christ. We are members of one another. We need one another and how this plays out. Now let me press this further. I've had people come up to me and say, Parkwood would fall apart without, and then they'd say a person's name. I totally disagree with that. Parkwood is not dependent on one individual. 
Now, we can set a church up to be that way, and that's a mistake, but it is not dependent on a person. I do believe this, however, that Parkwood will stumble and limp without each member realizing and exercising their gifts. Or let me say it clearer, some of you are slowing us down. We're not moving the way we ought to be moving because you are not exercising the gifts that God has given you. I'll press it even further. Parkwood or any local church can fall apart when the members as a whole fail to realize and exercise the spiritual gifts God has given them with humility. You personally can grieve and quench the Holy Spirit by not exercising your gift. We only think of grieving and quenching the Spirit as it relates to some overt sin. Not functioning in the body of Christ the way God would have you is grief and quenching. Because these things are from the Spirit of God. And listen, we can collectively do that. We could collectively refuse to carry out our gifts. And I believe there are many churches doing this today. It's an American mentality to church. You may have it. You may have it right now while you're sitting there. I'm here to get the goods and services Parkwood offers today, and then I'm going home. I have no interest in being involved and being a part of what's happening here. That's not what it means to be a part of the church is not what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. That's consumer Christianity, not biblical Christianity. So, every member is gifted by the Spirit. Why? Here's the answer. The Holy Spirit graciously gives gifts to each individual in the body of Christ for the common good. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So what is the common good? So if if you look in chapter 6, verse 12, and chapter 10, verse 23, he makes this comment when he says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful or beneficial. The word beneficial is the word good here. So not everything is beneficial. So let's, let's put that, use that word here. So that he has given us manifest, manifestation of the Spirit for the common benefit. What is commonly beneficial. So gifts are given for the good of the community of faith. To build up the people of God. I'm quoting from Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the common good is the growth of the body built up in love. And the body is built up only when each part is working properly. That is, when we are all exercising our gifts by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, what follows is a representative list of spiritual gifts in this text. There's no explanation of the, of the gifts here. I'm going to give a very brief explanation of what, what I, I think they mean. But Paul doesn't explain them. He doesn't explain their function. He only mentions about half of them where they come from, and he's just being redundant. They're from the Spirit, from the Spirit, from the Spirit. I'm going to then quickly read other texts that show other spiritual gifts. So let's go through these. 
For one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. I connect these two together because the word utterance is connecting them. It's very interesting that he starts with wisdom and knowledge. The very thing he confronts the Corinthians about in chapters 1 and 2. That they're puffed up because they think they're wise and knowledgeable. And then he says the first two gifts he mentions are wisdom and knowledge. So these things are necessary in the life of the church, but they are to be evidenced by as gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now how do these things play out? The gifts of wisdom and the gifts of knowledge. The gifts of, of applying and bringing application wisely of the word of God and the gifts of retention and understanding of the knowledge of the word of God. They happen one-on-one in counseling, biblical counseling. They happen one-on-one in exhorting one another. They evidence themselves in a wider context, either in a small group or like this, through the gift of teaching, of being able to wisely and knowledgeably explain the word of God. Verse 9. To another faith by the same spirit. Now we're not talking about saving faith here. All are saved by faith. Every Christian is saved by faith. He's talking about a very particular thing, mountain moving faith. He identifies it in chapter 13 when he says in in verse 2 at the end, if I have all faith as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. He's talking about this is the kind of faith he means. He's picking up from Matthew 17, verses 20 and 21, when Jesus said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you say to that mountain, be cast into the depths of the sea. That God gifts some people in the body of Christ with this measure of mountain-moving faith that God uses the rest of us to spur us on. Now, how desperately we need this gift in the church because we're all a bunch of cynics. We're all a bunch of pessimists and the glass half empty. We need these brothers and sisters. Not that they're living in some kind of unrealistic thing. They're just believing God for us and they spurn the rest of us on to do the same. To another, the gifts of healing by one spirit. Now listen very carefully to what I say. This does not mean the power to heal all diseases in all instances. This is not saying that God makes some people healers. Paul exercises this gift, Acts 14 is an example, when he heals the man at Lystra. If you read on in Acts, though, you find out that members of his team were sick. You even find out that Paul himself had a thorn in the flesh, some kind of illness. So even though Paul was able to heal at some times, at other times he was not. James chapter 5 instructs the elders of the church. If someone is sick, that they're to call on the elders and anoint them with oil and to pray for them. And it says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sin, he will be forgiven. Now, we as elders are always available to do that, but we're not coming to you. The Bible says that you are to approach us. We remain ready to pray with you And I just want you to know, and we don't publicize this, and I'm not going to be any more specific than what I'm going to say right here. We have more than one time seen people healed as a result of this moment of prayer. We have seen in foreign contexts, in places where the gospel is not known, in in villages and places where we have prayed over the sick and seen instantaneous healing. Now, I... I'm going to speak to that with this next one as to why I think that happens some and why it doesn't. 
Let's first address it. To another, the working of miracles. These astounding works that only can be explained, that was God. In Acts 19.11, Paul's performing miracles and the sons of Sceva, you remember this? The sons of Sceva come along and go, man, that's really cool. We could make a lot of money doing that. So they start evoking the name of Jesus and instead of performing miracles, a group of demons inhabit them and take them over. So you better watch playing with strange fire. You, 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 you can't make God do something, particularly for your own benefit. Now, why do I not think we see these things very often? I think we don't see them very often in our culture because of two things. Negative rationalism, that we're so rational we don't believe that miracles or healing can happen. So some of you, I'm using that example of people being healed and you're going, they just got better. That's fine. If that's what you want to believe, they just got better, I'm okay with that. You don't have to throw water on my parade after the service. It's fine. I don't think it happens every time we pray. I know it hasn't. All right? In irrational minds, we can say, oh, that didn't happen. That's one reason it doesn't happen much is the rational way people think. It just becomes a point of argument. Number two, it'll become a show. Just think. Brownsville, Toronto. Some of you are old enough to remember this. These things got started and everybody drove to Brownsville, Texas to see what was happening and then it got at the Toronto Blessing and they rode up there to see what was happening and I'm sure there's another place right now that something like that's going on. We'll turn it into a show. We'll make it into something spectacular and we forget what God is actually doing. So why does God do healing and miracles? Here's the normative answer in the New Testament. It is to attest to the gospel. That's why they happen. To another prophecy. Oh boy. Now, if you mean by the gift of prophecy, preaching, which for years I would have explained it that way, that some people are gifted to proclaim the word of God. But after I have studied in this instance what prophecy means in the context of the Bible, prophecy means someone who is speaking a message directly given by God to the prophet. Or to use language around here, this part of the world, that they have a word from God. Now listen very carefully. I reject that. I believe at this point in time that was happening. Because at this point in time, they didn't have this. We now have the completed canon. We have the word of God. I can firmly stand up to you and say, the Bible says. God says. Now, I'm going to be sweet and kind to you if you do it, but I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that if you walk up to me after the service, and this still happens regularly, uh, Pastor, I got a word from God from you. If you're going to open your Bible and share with me how God has applied something that you want to share with me, great. But if you start telling me stuff like, you know, God told me you need to watch out because your family's about to have so-and-so and so-and-so, okay. Because listen to me. I've said this before. In the Old Testament, they did something very distinct with prophecies that didn't come true.
Prophets were expected to speak the truth. So you better watch your evoking God saying something to you. Now, do I believe that the Spirit of God can impress things on your heart and drive you to obedience on things? Yes. But you don't have to say word from God. We'll come back to prophecy in chapter 14. It'll be lots of fun. Sidebar. I used to get my first four years of pastoring here, anonymous mail almost every week. And I finally, after saying what I'm about to say repeatedly, it stopped. I don't read anonymous mail. If it doesn't have a return address and the letter is not signed, so if I don't see a return address in the envelope, we open it, we look for a signature. So I hadn't got any in years, but almost weekly since I've been pre preaching through 1 Corinthians, I'm getting it. It's been fun. Now, if you need to speak with me about something you're disagreeing with me about, write me and sign it, and we will talk respectfully. I promise. Feel free to share your convictions. Just don't write it anonymously. It's not going to help any of us along the way. Back to the sermon. The, another ability to distinguish between spirits. <laughs> Had a youth pastor friend who was very charismatic, and we were walking into a high school lunchroom one time, and he went, stop. And I said, what is it, James? He said, do you see all those demons? I said, they're just high school kids. And then this conversation went something like this repeatedly between me and James. James, I believe Ephesians chapter 6. I believe we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. I believe there's a whole lot more going on spiritually than you and I even want to know. I believe in the existence of demons. The Bible teaches that. But I believe this is what I would say to James. Greater is he than in us and he than in the world. We're going in. I'm not afraid of anybody or anything in this lunchroom. And you don't need to be either. Let's go. But I don't believe that's what the, the, the discerning of spirits means. I believe the discerning of spirits means this. That there are people, it's very similar to the gifts of wisdom and knowledge, who can clearly see through flim flam in a second. Preachers like me who get up, have big voices and colorful illustrations, who really aren't saying anything, in fact, are saying something contrary. Thank God for people who have discernment to say that wasn't from God. Last, the gifts of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. I'll set you up for chapter 14. Acts chapter 2, everyone, when they spoke in tongues in Acts chapter 2, everyone heard what? You know? In their own language. A lot of people interpret chapters 12 to 14 to refer to ecstatic languages. We'll deal with this in depth when we get to chapter 14 because it's extensively discussed. Here's some other lists. 1 Corinthians 12, 28. God has appointed the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Having gifts, chapter 12 of Romans. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. 
Ephesians 4, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and the teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, the building up of the body of Christ. Back to chapter 12, verse 11. All these, all these gifts are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Each one, each and every one of you who are followers of Jesus individually, you have been gifted as he wills. Not as you will, not as you choose, as he wills. So here's what you say. Yes, Lord. Yes. You don't say, I want to have that gift or I want to do that. Yes. This is recognizing that Jesus is Lord and that he has willed. So here's my question. Am I exercising the gifts of the Holy Spirit has graciously given me in the body of Christ under the lordship of Christ and for the common good? I want you to turn to 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter takes up the subject of spiritual gifts and instead of listing, he just lumps them into two categories, speaking gifts and serving gifts. But listen to what he says. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of the very, God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Brothers and sisters, God is glorified when each and every one of us use our gifts to serve one another. When we do that, we are glorifying God as the body of Christ. We are called to be stewards. That means we recognize what God has given us and that we utilize these gifts. Now, I'm going to draw your attention to this card. Those of you who have a, a cell, a smartphone, I'm not smart enough to use mine, but if you are, Pull up your web browser, type in parkwoodonline.org slash serve. Serving, excuse me, or survey. Get it right. Can't read my own writing. Survey. If you'll put that in, this will show up on your phone. We'd rather you use that. This will make life faster for all of us. You put your first and, la- first and last name on here, your email. If you don't have an email address, you put your physical address. And then you go down through here and say, Here's places I think I'm interested as it would relate to what I think God has gifted me. If you say, I don't know exactly, you can say, I think I'm gifted in a speaking gift. That's not preaching. That's one-on-one or teaching in a growth group setting or serving. Just put me behind the scenes. I don't want to be up front. These are the areas, adult growth groups, that's teaching and, and hosting. Kids and growth groups and Awanas on Sunday morning and Awana on Wednesday night. Awana is booming right now. We need many people to help. Student growth groups. We've got 200 people coming on Sunday night. Student growth groups. Worship. Those who sing up here. Those who play in the band and the production people who work in the back. And then guest services, ushers, greeters, parking, security. Let me tell you a story. There used to be a lady in our church before we had formal greeting ministry. In fact, after she died is when we realized we've got to do this. She knew everybody's name at Parkwood. Everybody. She learned a guest name within two weeks. I found out after the first service and some of our older members, she identified every search committee that ever came through here looking for a pastor and ran most of them off before they got in the door. 
Not in a mean way. She just outed them right off the bat. I have had, after every service, people come up to me and say, our family came to Parkwood because of Thelma Moss. Because the first Sunday she remembered our name. She called us. Followed up. I didn't know she did this. Multiple people told me that right after they came here, they got sick or something happened to them. And Thelma went out of her way to minister to those families simply based off of a conversation she had in the lobby. So don't you think that being a greeter is not utilizing a spiritual gift? It is a necessary part of how we function, particularly in a large church like this, Sunday after Sunday. Brothers and sisters, God has placed a great mission in front of us. And we're asking you, if you're not serving somewhere, that you would commit to serve. And for some of you, it means this. You've been sitting around waiting on joining. What are you waiting for? I say this lovingly and kindly. Christianity is not a spectator sport. If Parkwood's not the place you're supposed to plug your life in, go find one. Go find a church that you can commit to and plug into. If this is the place, then move forward in membership. Because here's what membership says. We're committed. We're going to help. We're going to serve. We're going to give. We're going to be a part of what God is doing here. Take that next step. Please identify this by placing it in the offering plate. Or if you do the online survey, you're done the moment you click OK or whatever it says at the bottom. Let's pray. I want you to bow together with me. I just want you to ask yourself the question. Are you faithfully stewarding the gifts that God has given you? Lord, I recognize that as that question is offered, there are some who are still confused. I pray that their next step in faith would be to get involved in serving somewhere and discover what those gifts are. For those who know and for some reason have decided to live in a perpetual state of taking a break, that they would step forward in obedience to serve the body of Christ and give of themselves. Lord, I pray you'd make it clear to all of us that we are dependent on one another and that we are called to serve you and to serve each other that the body would be built. And all of this for the sake of the gospel, that the gospel will not go forth unless we labor together for the growth of all believers and go with the gospel to those who are yet to believe. So lead us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.